you're on the air. Don't say anything crazy. Brother Bear, tell me, tell me completely honestly what you would do if you were faced eye to eye, eyeball to eyeball with a six foot cougar. <laughs> Depends what kind of cougar. <laughs> well, no. Um, honestly, I think I know which one you mean. Um, yes, I, do. I don't. I don't mean the one in uh, her fifties looking after that, looking for that young man to take care no. of. No. Well, it's, it's a great question. It's not one I was expecting, and a bit of a curved ball. Um, <laughs> six foot. Can they? When they're on their hind legs, can they be that tall? You know, it's it's funny. In in length, uh, they are. They can grow to six foot, and I didn't realize the, the sheer size of cougars until I started working at the zoo um, and getting like up close to them and realizing, Jesus, these are some huge, huge beasts. But please tell me your answer. Yeah, I'd okay. Love to, love to hear your answer. I think my first instinct would be to freeze because almost um, maybe my instincts are telling me running is completely useless as an exit strategy here. Because that thing would outrun me and probably climb a tree as fast as I could try and scramble up one. So I, I think running's not an option. Standing there, maybe playing dead, but then obviously just collapsing on the spot if it's already seen me alive might not work. <laughs> so I'll just pretend to have a heart attack. No, I, I think I would freeze. I think I'd freeze and maybe very slowly back away and maybe make some very weird, uncharacteristic noises that would almost confuse it as to what yeah. i am i maybe i'm not human i'd make some vicious hissing sound that wouldn't <laughs> wouldn't be naturally expected of a human being yeah that's actually and, not a bad response but uh, but I, I i i don't think i'd i'd not want to make any sudden movements because i've heard that's not a good thing to do yeah so i've been you're right about not running cougars can run between like 64 and 80 kilometers per hour Right. So, the, so the the last thing you want to do, it, to be honest, in most animal attacks, most most wild in life encounters, kind of like with a dog, you don't want to turn around and run because then their prey, they will see you as prey, and their predator exactly. instinct will kick in. You kind of fall into that um, prey category by doing that automatically. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Like they they're looking to when an animal like a cougar sees you, it's scanning you and scanning you, kind of like, you imagine like the kind of Robocop scanning, like, is this a threat? Is mm. this, or is this something that could be a potential source for my own survival? And right. turning and running would definitely put you in the prey category. <laughs> yeah, and I'd probably want to make myself almost, just thinking about it a little bit more now, probably as big as possible, putting my hands up in the air and sort of showing that I'm not, I'm standing my ground. Um, yeah. And sort of, you know, making myself as big as possible. And I don't know whether kind of threatening it or sort of standing your ground is threat enough. Or do you kind of have to point a sharp pointed object at it or some stick or something towards it in almost like an attacking predator way for yes. it to desist and uh, stand down? So ideally what you want to do is make yourself as big as possible. You want to make, put your arms out, put your legs out and make yourself look very large mm. and then you want to be basically screaming and yelling really and making human noises so you want to you don't want to make a noise that a, a prey would uh, <laughs> make like a lot of people do that with bears like they'll make they'll because with bears you're trying to make make yourself known mm. um 
because generally they don't want to go near humans. But um, some people do the high pitched sounds, especially the kids or whatever, and then they'll think it's a deer. Um, yeah. So you want to make like deeper human sounds, wave your arms around, mm. um, definitely don't run, and bear spray 100% is going to work on a cougar um, right. if they come at you. Um, a lot of people have got their hunting knife by their side, you know, because if that cougar does attack, you want to use any means necessary. You want to biff it, go for the eyes, anything, mm. kind of like you would in a black bear attack. Yeah, and for the um, benefit of our listeners, because I didn't know this before I kind of asked you the question around the bear spray. So that's sort of like a hot chili spray, essentially, uh, that would irritate the animal's eyes. And Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, so it's quite interesting. Like, it contains capsicum, um, which is like, it's basically the uh, chemical found in chili. Mm. Uh, it's naturally occurring so uh, there's like a scale i can't remember what the scale is called um scoville that's it yeah that's it the scoville um scale because people people get that out when they do sort of hot wing challenges and things like that um (laughs) (laughs) which i've never done but i've heard they're fun but sounds like um, an idiotic thing to do but yeah i have seen (laughs) people end up in tears or sometimes in hospital in hospital yeah brother (laughs) yeah um well I think like a five on the scale is you're talking your average garden pepper and then you you get higher and higher up and suddenly you're at like the california sorry carolina reapers and those are like mm. almost you know you can be hospitalized and it can really cause some some like terrible implications for your blood pressure from eating one and then a little higher than that you've got the the concentrated spray that police would use um and then right. above that then you're looking at the stuff to use on the bears and and so on right and so that's typically the highest grade just so it kind of is is fast acting and um quite yeah. an, it, it, so it says so the reaction's immediate almost so they don't charge or approach mm. you yeah yeah i mean the the idea is to start off making a cloud uh-huh. of of spray but the average the average um canister of bear mace or bear spray lasts like has got about seven seconds of ammunition in it right okay to hold it down so you've got to be very careful with how you use it and you know a lot of bears i'm not about sure about cougars but a lot of bears do bluff charges um, okay to to ward off potential uh threats so again you've you've got to almost look at the telltale signs for bluff charges um prior to using the spray in case you waste it all <laughs> yeah i've um i've seen elephants do what you describe as bluff charges where they almost charge up to a point and then they just suddenly stop almost um yeah like you say a bluff testing you to see yeah. whether you're going to stand your ground or not and you get the feeling that if you don't stand your ground they'll just carry on yeah 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 is it a bluff- test of that description it's almost i think it is almost a challenge isn't it yeah well you're you're right they're you're sizing right. you up aren't they really they're sizing you up, yeah. And a bluff charge is often when they're on the, they're in the sort of undecided stage on whether they can beat you or not, mm. and um, they're trying to, they're testing the water. Yeah, and I uh, suppose running is going to only reinforce and almost create the predator prey dynamic. For sure, for sure, yeah. Running is going to confirm their suspicions that you are in fact meat for them to eat, <laughs> or if not that. Mm. a threat that's beatable and therefore they'll just go for you <laughs> yeah yeah but okay but cougars cougars are an interesting one brother ben because 
basically after decades of well, this is a really interesting time in the US and Canada in in sort of cougar country because after decades and decades of denial from the federal and state wildlife agencies cougars are actually returning to the territory that they vacated long ago so it's quite a scary time in terms of cougar populations and so is there any underlying reason as to why they're seeing the numbers sort of bounce back like this is this how recent is all of this is this last 10 years or this is this is sort of since the 80s um and the 90s so they're they're multiplying in western north america and they're reclaiming their old turf really so there was a time not so long ago where like places like connecticut um and new hampshire you'd never see a cougar cougars were something that occurred out west in places like south dakota and wyoming and you know you wouldn't be seeing them in non-mountainous alpine regions but the population dramatically declined from 1900 mainly because of hunting um, Mm -hmm. and also because of lack of prey and then there was this amazing study um, in 2012 that came out called the LaRue Nielsen study Um, and this was after years and years of people saying oh i've seen a cougar where they shouldn't be like there were there were cougar reports in like chicago um like cougars actually coming into the city proper of chicago and like hanging around dumpsters (laughs) um and governments were just refusing to believe it but this study exposed that actually cougars are roaming the eastern half of north america and they're getting they're getting bigger in their population there's they're multiplying so do they have any natural predators I can't. I, I can imagine they're at the top of their food chain, right? Pretty much, yeah. I mean, in terms of where they roam, they're going to see a little bit of conflict with um, bear populations, mm. um, a little bit of conflict with wolves. But ultimately, they're they're closer to the sort of apex, and they'll be the, you know, I mean, they they eat coyotes, um, you wow. know. So, <laughs> that, and that's basically a dog. So, like, <laughs> no. <laughs> so, so, so are they quite yeah. vicious animals by nature i mean would they um sort of unprovoked attack a human being and see them as prey uh because with the sort of them encroaching on the urban environment i'm sure there were concerns or at least uh for, from the populations around there and how much of that was sort of the urban environment encroaching on what was once woodland or was mm. it just the population exploding from the cougar side and overspilling from the woodland onto the urban area Good question. Really, really good question there. So a lot of it would have been human uh, movements into the country yeah, um, and, and sort of suburban sprawl into areas that would have just been country um, decades before. I mean, there's an estimated 4,000 cougars in Canada. Interestingly, 3,500 of those live in British Columbia. Um, and so there's, there's a huge, huge population there. Um, very high concentrations of cougars on Victoria Island. Um, and their main prey is the black-tailed deer. So as deer populations have gone up um, and with limitations of hunting, um, the population for cougars are, are basically thriving right now. Yeah. Um, and they're following, you know, they're, they're following their natural dispersal instincts. Yeah, um, and... Which, um- yeah. In an effort to kind of curb their numbers, has sort of licenses been issued to hunt cougars um, and almost bring this down? Because I know often hunters see it as a duty to the environment to almost 
um, act as the arbitrary or sort of rebalancing force when it comes to one species becoming overly dominant in a particular environment. Um, and I imagine mm. then you wouldn't want the knock-on effect. And hunters often describe it as, I think, harvesting, right? <laughs> Almost as if you were to harvest a crop, you're harvesting um, sort of what rogue populations of a certain animal. Yeah, yeah. That's the word. Harvest is the word. Um, and and for sure, you're right there. Um, their abundancy has led to twink, basically sort of tinkering with the, um, the yearly hunting season um, or basically the the advertising of targeting mountain lions since 2005 Mm. so yeah they i mean they can be confused with other other animals you know bobcats coyotes uh, house cats even um but at the at the end of the day um they are a very dangerous animal they're more dangerous than bears um in terms of their like kill counts and also just their behaviors bears tend even grizzlies just tend to attack when threatened um cougars are are more you know they more see us as prey um they are felines and they have a completely different set of behaviors that leads them to attack humans more mm. and so they've been included in or there is a hunting quota for cougars especially when their numbers are out of control right yeah there are there are and um you know this this is again i don't know off the top of my head the the quotas and obviously because it just mm. depends on the locality um but yeah they tinker with the dates and they'll have they'll have different lengths of hunting season for archery and firearms um tend tend to be because sort of to level the playing field between hunters um but yeah definitely quotas for harvesting cougars mm-hmm. are going up Right. And you did mention mountain lions, just so I'm not confused, Leo. There's, um, are they the same species as what's referred to in, as mountain lions in California? I imagine they're quite different, or are they quite related? They're the same. Mountain lions they're the same. are cougars. Yeah. Oh, they are yeah. the same. Okay, they're one yeah. of the same. Fine. Yeah. They're, they're, the, they're the same. There's just <clears throat> Those terms can be used interchangeably. Um, you can also use puma or panther um, to describe... Um, it's the same cat really yeah because um, i've yeah. just heard um joe rogan speaking about because he's big on hunting and he did living in california i think he knows he's quite close to the whole cougar population or the as they call them out there the mountain lion population and it has it's not unheard of that these mountain lions have actually attacked and killed people out there up in the wilderness yeah yeah totally totally i think i think um in arizona we had about when i when i was there we had about 17 deaths a year really Um, yeah yeah um we had about 17 a year and and it's usually the lone hikers or the lone the lone joggers because yeah a cougar or or it'll be children you know yeah i suppose they'll go for easy prey first but that's shocking um you just imagine being a lone hiker and you know this cougar could be stalking you for miles and Mm. then sort of just to find the opportune moment to pounce that's quite it's, it's very much you know out there you're very much the prey aren't you you're just this soft uh, naked ape really <laughs> yeah yeah with like pretty defenseless not, pretty defenseless like no claws or teeth to defend yourself yeah. um yeah i'm yeah we we were hiking we did a night hike um about an hour from west of calgary me and a couple of friends from the zoo and when the sun went down we really we really became quite um 
kind of terrified of the prospect of cougars because we were in a canyon and looking we were constantly looking up with our our torches trying to just see any eyes because it's such a strong vantage point to pounce yeah wow yeah now that's a quite a sort of um strategically sounds like quite a, a vulnerable place a canyon and then almost <laughs> any sort of ledge it just picture like the uh, scene from the lion king where they're running down that canyon you're just ready to be pounced on like <laughs> it's pretty much like that yeah it's yeah they're very they're very they're, they're scary animals and i think and i just wanted to highlight in this episode you know just things are changing and their populations are increasing increasing exponentially and they're you know they're turning up in places like chicago and hartford connecticut and you know places where you would never associate cougars with um yeah Leo, like root cause wise, one it's um, urban sprawl and the growth of suburbs, and so us encroaching on their natural environment. But it must also be that paired with their populations increasing, them not really having natural predators. Mm. Um, but you'd think with sort of controlling the levels of their natural prey, which you say was the black deer or yeah. form different forms of deer, you'd think that they wouldn't um, propagate as much, and that would almost the level of food abundance or their natural prey mm. you could almost in an indirect way control their levels of population yeah definitely definitely um so another reason which i didn't cite earlier for their growth is actually the um the way that america and canada looks after their forests um and you know this is this stuff doesn't really get reported on because there's so much negative press about you know human effects on climate change um but actually in the u.s and canada um, and even europe as well overwhelmingly all studies pretty much show that forest like forest land and shrubland is increasing because they're actually looking after them very well forestry commissions um are fairly effective at increasing the biodiversity of these habitats and size as well Right. So it might actually be a symptom of a good thing in that these ecosystems are thriving mm-hmm. and in some cases growing. And so you're just seeing an increase in the um, fauna. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that, that, so that leads on, that is sort of the root cause and, um, of, of the growth in the cougar populations. And that this mm-hmm. actually leads me on to the, the black bear um, the black bear area because again you, you talked about harvest you know regulated harvest of black bears provides a lot of economic social benefits to local residents mm. um but it's more than ever needed actually because um, and this is i think something that that joe rogan has discussed in the past uh, with various guests um is that the the number of black bears is also increasing um and its density and their distribution so their their sort of numbers and their their behaviors are, are very different differently impacted by humans and say a grizzly bear they're really on the increase mm. and a bit like the cougar is does the black bear have any natural predators or is it very kind of at the top of the food chain and then an apex predator a bit like the cougar again it's a similar it's in the same bracket similar same, dynamic yeah. same order yeah same order um so yeah there's i mean there's black bears are very common there's across north america about nine hundred thousand. um wow yeah it's 
high numbers um and but you'd be surprised that around and this number's always increasing but about 20,000 black bears are legally harvested in Canada alone annually well wow. and and how is that um i don't know where i've heard this that um it's almost a ballot as to who gets the license because there's almost there's always more applicants than there are sort of viable bears for a given year yeah so well the target for a maximum har- harvest is is usually 5% yeah um, for black bears um and this is just recommended to maintain healthy populations and have other animals get a chance at at life um but yeah you're right because hunting's a hugely popular sport so it's usually a very oversubscribed process yeah and i suppose there's there's an argument or there it, i imagine there exists an argument where we shouldn't get involved at all and kind of with if we were to leave nature to its own devices and don't put these quotas in for given animals each year mm. kind of left untouched what would be nature's end game what would happen would it i'd 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 imagine it would just equalize and um kind of fluctuate in a natural way right that mm. there would be too many bears in a given year so some would die off because there weren't enough food then the, in turn the next year there'd be particularly a bumper harvest for the mm. um deer and then it would almost switch uh, on almost like an annual basis in in that respect depending on how much yeah. predator and prey ratios look like on a given year yeah yeah that's a good question because there is a strong argument to say well hold on why don't we just leave everything alone almost as like um well at this point it'd be a thought experiment but just to see you know how nature reacts i think the big issue actually um comes back to vegetation um because once you start to remove a certain species or increase a certain species um, it can cause all sorts of impacts to your number of trees and shrubs and grass and like overgrazing um, can be a real threat to like human quality of life mm. um, because what people don't realize is we're so interconnected with the animals that live around us even if we never even interact with them yeah um, so, so it's kind of because we've introduced ourselves we have to manage this um, yeah yeah to our own ends yeah yeah it's we sort of have um we we should all strive to be stewards of the environment um i mean one beautiful example which i think you may already know about but is did did we ever discuss the reintroduction of wolves into yellowstone uh i don't think we did no okay because that's that's like a glowing example of how you know changing one variable can have mm. this huge domino effect and in in biological terms or environmental terms this is called a trophic cascade um which is when you introduce you change one variable and then it tumbles and changes like the entire food chain right um but basically the wolves were introduced in 95 they you know in very short summary this is they killed a lot more deer um the killing of the deer increased vegetation mm-hmm. um, and increased the tree line and all these kinds of things. Then the deer, deer that survived avoided certain parts and valleys and gorges and they started to regenerate. Um, bear valley sides became, you know, these beautiful forests of aspen and willow bloomed. 
um and then songbirds and beavers moved in um they built dams that provided wildlife for ducks fish and reptiles and then the wolves also ate coyotes too allowing more mice rabbits and hawks to flourish wow. um and the most crazy part of this is that the regenerating forest all caused by a lower deer count stabilized the banks of the rivers so the entire shape of the river system in yellowstone has changed since 1995 so the whole physical wow. geography is, is, is all changed that's incredible how far-reaching those um, impacts were of just introducing one species. Mm. And yeah. um, it just sort of occurred to me, I suppose nature doesn't have an end game, an agenda, or a preferred outcome. It's almost ambivalent in all of this and all of these preferences, as in biodiversity is good, tick in the box. It's a very human-centric viewpoint. It's kind of nature doesn't care what the end outcome is. Earth is Earth and it is what it is from sort of a purely natural standpoint and a neutral standpoint where it's kind of us as humans that attribute value or a desirable agenda one way or the other yeah it's a weird one yeah yeah no very well put very well put brother bear because humans are humans tend to politicize things or like put something into a camp or a category when often what we're talking about doesn't care right yeah yeah so so it's um it's it's interesting because i was listening to this um I, I think it was an interview with this guy who just turned 101 he was i don't remember his name i will put it in the description once this podcast is done but there's uh, a scientist uh who came up with the gaia theory um and it's basically when he first saw the earth from space or that first, that first picture not in person but he saw the pictures brought back he finally sort of it hit him that we're on this finite biome of a mixture almost like a, a test tube a mixture of compounds and minerals and elements and a almost mm. an enclosed system this Gaia and it's um it, it's it's all contained in a self-sustaining system and it, it's kind of existed for billions of years and will exist for billion years to come and it's kind of for us to be the stewards of it maybe mm. and it's not like if global temperatures go out of whack like they have done in the past far more drastically than they currently are doing it's not like the earth's going to go anywhere it's us that are going to suffer the earth yeah. is kind of ambivalent in that sense and if it gets really hot the earth's going to be here for billions of years to come and probably will get a lot colder between now and the uh, <laughs> sun engulfing it but yeah, yeah. it's kind yeah. of um it's 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 we, we've kind of got to worry about these things for the purposes and to the end of our own existence i suppose that's the real motivator for us in a selfish way yeah 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 that's so true that's also true like the um the earth doesn't care and i think i think one of my favorite um my, my favorite uh stand-up sequences from george carlin said pretty much exactly what you've said um in, in his like brilliantly comedic way he was talking about the earth as this like beautiful blue and green ball just bobbing around in space and it just couldn't have a care in the world for how we treat it we place so yep. much emphasis on it but it it's gonna you know the planet's gonna be fine ultimately we're not <laughs> <laughs> that's very true but let me throw this curved ball at you go on go on how about we are the earth because we've we are of the earth uh, and we are the earth made conscious made flesh and therefore mm. the earth by extension has become conscious why why should we separate ourselves from nature when we are it mm. Mm. 
That's, you know what? That's an excellent argument. Um, because we are really one aren't of the only... The, aren't, aren't we the Earth-rendered conscious? I think we are. Well, we're, we're definitely... The, the Earth has had a good crack at making pretty self-aware creatures, right? Yeah. Um, like certain apes with the great at the self-awareness test. Um, but we, but nothing to the level of our consciousness. And But don't I separate th- yourself from the apes. They've made conscious beings, you and I. Yeah, well, that's true. That's true. Um, yeah, I mean, that's a, I never really thought about it that way, but I think I think that's an excellent way of putting it, really, because we are... Sorry, I just destroyed my own argument, but I don't, I don't know. It was just a thought that struck me. No, but it's a good thought. It's a good thought, really, because we are uh, we are of the Earth. We were created by all the forces that made up the Earth over various millennia. Um, so why separate ourselves just because we learn how to build, you know, spaceships and oil rigs and all those things? <laughs> mm. Mm. Yeah, incredible thought. Um, <laughs> But bringing it, bringing it back to... Sorry to derail the podcast. Let's get back to it. <laughs> yeah, cut it. Back cut to it. Cougars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, but uh, it, it's it's an interesting thought. And I think I think that, um, again, this brings brings it back to sort of the, the Darwinian world of the frontier. Because, I don't know, in some some would argue that the front, the, you know, time of the frontier in the US and Canada and North America uh, was really a time where we would separate ourselves from nature in one area because bears for example just existed to be killed before the development of a national conservation ethic and hunting seasons but then on the other hand um we were so connected to nature back then in other ways you know i mean yeah yeah in terms of in terms of how how much we relied on it for power and and heat and our own livelihoods yeah, I think for all of the incredible civilizing benefits of capitalism, I think it's almost divorced us from um, our natural way of being, which has been 90, a feature of 99% of our existence as a species. Mm. So like, I think Louis C.K. put it once when he were like, um, when the Spanish first landed in America, that all it was was just these Indians living coast to coast in this beautiful land of brown blue and green it's just gorgeous everyone's kind of dancing around you know going through beautiful religious rituals um picking and living off the earth um painting themselves and adorning themselves in gorgeous natural um uh materials and elements and animals and making the most of everything being so sustainable and then you find these corrupt individuals almost (laughs) although some people we consider more civilized nowadays yeah. Um, that corrupted almost that pure lifestyle. Yeah, that was so in sync with the world. Yeah, it was. It was rhythmically yeah. aligned to the seasons and the moons and the, mm. the the earth on your feet. God, it's yeah, it's amazing to think what North America would look like if, for some weird reason, Europeans never found it. Mm. Um, yeah. yeah, but look at. I mean, it's it's funny, right? It's, um, what's it called? Um, in the economics terms, where you've got um, the next best option foregone, opportunity cost. Opportunity so, cost, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's always going to be opportunity cost, right? So you, you can't go living like that, capitalism would say, because you're uncivilized and then there's all these benefits to be had with capitalism mm-hmm. and money and um, civilization as we know it now. 
Mm. Um, and that's, I think there's, that's very true. There's a huge amount of value to education and books and knowledge. Oh, and just you, list goes on and on. But there's also something to a pure life, just living with the earth and not questioning too much and not thinking too much because, mm. <laughs> yeah, that that in itself creates its own problems. Well, as Alan Watts says, you know, the, one of the biggest issues facing humanity is you start just thinking about thoughts. <laughs> and you just yeah, this mind chatter. Yeah, and I think it's only getting worse and it's probably a big root cause as to the sort of rising levels ever rising levels of anxiety and depression especially in young people yeah. I, th- I think it's just the sheer volume and um frequency of information being bombarded with social media particularly mm. yeah i think there's a i think we're kind of at capacity and we're like beyond capacity yeah um, and i think giving that so much of the information is useless as well yeah <laughs> so much rubbish out there it's unbelievable yeah. yeah i saw this um tiktok video trending <laughs> recently and it was just a girl in like the the video was played at two times speed of her doing a three-point turn and that had like two million views see that just doesn't sit right with me <laughs> yeah <laughs> that really doesn't sit right i mean yeah. that over two million people you know have watched that actually dedicated time to seeing that yeah, I imagine the cumulative time dedicated to that. That's probably a year or more. <laughs> yeah, oh, but it's um, yeah, it's almost like our CPUs, are, our internal CPUs, are maxed out and burning out. Yeah, oh, it's quite worrying. But but back to the bear topic. <laughs> back the, to the uh, bear topic. Back to the big bears, because um, I did want to get across a point that I th- remembered. In, in answer to one of your previous questions and it comes back to fossil fuels so you were talking about um bear populations and cougar populations increasing um why does that happen mm. so fossil fuels has also meant less wood needed for fuel um so those times when we were sort of more immersed in our natural surroundings we were also more exploitative when it comes to wood and pulp so better forestry practices in general um and the way that we treat our woodlands now and due to reliance on fossil fuels has really amped up that that natural um uh, explosion in in bear and and cougar populations yeah the reforestry movement that actually reminds me there's um an eu driven initiative um that i know is implemented in a number of eu countries not least poland and in poland the system they have there is if you own a piece of land as in have the freehold of some rural land and decide not to build on it and have uh, the existing flora flourish there and almost grow into a forest or if there is a forest to keep it and not essentially chop it down you are paid on an annual basis a certain fee or Mm. almost like a subsidy from the eu to keep it as a forested plot of land oh really yeah you are subsidized to keep it um wooded yeah that's a, that's an excellent program. So yeah, I can imagine a lot of people jump on that and uh, they do. Yeah, it's quite popular actually. Yeah, yeah. and it, you know if there are people who've had all this forested land, it's almost I think it's done almost on an acre by acre base, depending on how many square acres you've got. You'll be paid by mm-hmm. the EU for keeping it um, natural and wooded and forested. That's brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the whole world needs more oxygen and. Um, it's uh and less nitrates <laughs> and and i think i think that the, the situation with 
just for your own mental health um it, it's fantastic to have some woodland in your your land or in your in your backyard you're uh, so lucky to have those pine trees do they smell are they fragrant they are they are, <laughs> are they some, some wow. mornings they'll wake up and just smell them but the best the best is really i'll go out and smell the bark <laughs> i'll just dr- drill a little borehole in the trunk and like stick my nose in there start, start smelling <laughs> the trunk <laughs> natural high natural high rocky mountain high <laughs> yeah it's it's beautiful it really is um but yeah so um bear recovery is on the up um we thought prairie states and central midwestern states like kansas and indiana didn't show them on range maps but with all the forestry um being on the increase in the u.s bear sightings are now being made in these areas that people thought were more prairie territories um but the thing is you've you've really you can't have the bear conversation without again bringing up the safety concerns and i think i think that there's so many examples of bears actually being intent on killing humans um and you know 400 pound black bears emerging from the woods and charging families and grabbing the young ones in when in its jaws and this this does happen like more more than you know more often than we'd like to admit um so again the the bear conversation with all this growth in in black bears not grizzly bears but black bears is accompanied by a lot of safety issues so it sounds like the black bear does often see the homo sapien as a prey almost through instinct um because I, I think it's the likes of sharks get a bad name, but in reality, it's often mistaken identity for something like a more natural prey, which would be a seal. But it sounds like the bear knows what you are and actually is on, is a, is intent on eating you because it sees you as such as a prey. Kind of, yeah. I mean, it, it's that's it's, it's interesting that that's actually rarer than you'd think. I think the problem is with black bears is um, the. <laughs> They d- they don't care that we've gone into their territory. They they're happy to stay there and forage and do what they can to to maintain um, a static place. Well, basically their own territory. On the other hand, grizzlies are very different. Um, grizzlies um, have been really declining um, in recent years. They're federally listed as threatened. Um, have been excessively overhunted, and now there's. Some estimates are less than 1,500 grizzlies in the U.S. Um, Most of them are up in Alaska, but it's amazing, Andre. Like you can look at you can look at range maps of where grizzlies were in like the 1800s, early 1800s, and it stretches all the way out to like almost the eastern U.S. Um, Now we're just looking in the U.S. alone. They're only in I think Idaho, Montana, and Wyoming. I think uh, maybe they might be missing one state, but I believe those are the only states they're in. And is that due to habitat destruction or is that in any part to do with competition with the black bear, which you said there was something like north of 900,000 of? Yeah, so it's it's more just their mental uh, ability to... They, they want to be alone, basically. They're very solitary animals and they hate human interference, whereas... Bear, black bears on the other hand which is why their attacks are so much common more common will not retreat they'll stay where they are um mm. so the grizzlies will retreat and and seek out you know hidden valleys where they won't be bothered by human life 
Okay, and it sounds like the it's the black bear that is a threat to human life more than the grizzly, and that is that just down to there being more black bears, and therefore the frequency or chances of coming across a black bear as opposed to a grizzly are that much higher, or it's, is it their nature? It's just it's their nature, really. They they they're less solitary black bears, so their numbers are going to be higher in human areas. Grizzlies have lost around 98% of their range in the lower 48 states. Um, which is a huge, huge amount. They were um, they, they were basically extirpated by the late 19th, early 20th century um, and, went, and went into British Columbia because obviously mm. bears don't recognize political boundaries. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, parts of Alberta and, and, and other other the northern territories so grizzlies have been pushed into places where humans are not mm. it sounds like grizzlies from what you're telling me is maybe slightly more picky in terms of their habitat and um i i don't know whether this is just something i've picked up from discovery animal planet they like to go do the salmon fishing when that or i don't know if that i think that's a seasonal thing that happens once a year um, they go up the river and you kind of see the salmon jumping and they try and catch as many as they can in that frenzy, that feeding frenzy. Um, but it mm. sounds like almost like the panda, the grizzly maybe is a, a, a pickier um, tenant in terms of its natural habitat, whereas the kind of black bear is happy in a lot more of a variety of habitats. Yeah, yeah. So basically grizzlies um, are highly sensitive to human disturbance. Right. Um, I don't know if they're more picky in terms of diet, but they're... Um, they really need to roam free from any kind of anthropomorphic in, interference. In, interference. Um, so, yeah, they their range has been really uh, encroached upon. Mm-hmm. Um, so the destiny of the grizzly bears is is going to be really determined by how much humans decide to go into the wild and how much food the bears have. Um, mm. to, that that will decide their destiny really. Mm. It sounds like, um, well, do you feel there's the incentives and initiatives to protect the grizzly bear now? I mean, I know that Parks Canada and the US um, Fish and Wildlife and Forestry Service are increasingly um, vigilant um, to to not cause humans to, to fragment uh, bear, grizzly bear populations. So there's so much close monitoring and you know gis which is something we're familiar with as geographers is playing a huge role in mapping bears and most most grizzly bears will have a chip in their ear um especially black bears even more so but a lot of grizzlies will have chips so that they're constantly being tracked and we can tell if they're going into sort of human habitats or not or you know if if they're going off the map or anything like that yeah well i suppose national parks would be so useful for preserving um bears because national parks right i imagine are exempt and protected from urbanization or suburban mm. sprawl yeah yeah definitely definitely be a um, haven for the bears indeed a haven for the bears yeah the the national park system provincial park system is great in preserving that but obviously you know bears will go beyond that um yeah that's so. very true mm-hmm it's a constant sort of tug of war um, and balance to, to protect them. There's also the issue of undocumented um, hunting or poaching, which is an important issue that needs to be constantly tracked. 
Is that because or for, for grizzly bears in particular? Yeah, so grizzly bears are what's called a trophy animal. I can imagine because probably because of their rarity and just their sheer size, because I understand that they're quite a bit bigger physically as compared to black bears, right? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, Theodore Roosevelt was, um, you know, famous for hunting grizzlies all over Yellowstone, as was um, the um, Davy Crockett frontiersman, you know. He was an avid bear hunter. so And people still do it today. So, yeah, it's seen as sort of a trophy um, a, a trophy hunt, a trophy um, game. Mm. But, yeah, it's... But that's that's illegal, it, right, when it comes to grizzlies? It depends on the population. So there are actually areas where you can um, because their population is out of control in a specific locale. But mm. generally it's, it, it's frowned upon even amongst certain hunting communities. Um, yeah just because of real or suspected declines um and the forecasting isn't looking great for them no oh, that's so sad because it's such an iconic and majestic animal isn't it it's almost on so. par with the african lion and maybe that's um the american grizzly bear mm. oh yeah i think such so an icon it's it's um it's a shame our time is is somewhat limited on this podcast but um think we should round off by saying that you know the the icons behind the you know the, the connotations behind these animals are absolutely beautiful i mean the a lot of people look up to sort of the um the north american bald eagle or the grizzly bear but i think these are great symbols for you know um basically freedom and and peace and you know uh, just a, a level of stability um and people people use like buffaloes as well and white buffaloes as sort of a, a spiritual something to spiritually look up to and i think everyone yeah. has their own white buffalo <laughs> <laughs> yeah definitely i mean you can see that going back as far as the native americans they 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 saw the spiritual and the significance of all of these gorgeous animals and always attributed spirits and characters to them yeah it's um it's quite amazing and i just hope that the preservation efforts go far enough to saving them and keeping them around for generations to come definitely i th- I think if there's anything to get across on this uh this short episode it's that in north america a lot of agencies and authorities have been doing a sterling job at um, woodland protection and increasing the the number of trees in a sustainable manner but what comes with that are more animals and cougars and bears rushing into metropolitan areas. And everyone has to be aware of that. Um, you know, cougar sightings are happening now in you know, big, big suburban areas in, in Connecticut. Um, they're not just in South Dakota anymore. And I think that needs to be noted. But yeah, for so many reasons, you know, going back to the wolves in Yellowstone. But as you just said, you know, the icon and, and you know, the the image that comes with these beautiful beasts needs to be preserved for generations. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it sounds certainly like the cougar is the wily one and the audacious one, kind of not afraid to encroach on a human urban environment. So um, I think, yeah, we, we probably, as much as preserving their environment, which it sounds like we're doing with the reforestering initiatives, uh, both in North America and Europe, it sounds like we just need to educate the public as to how to act as well. In if If there were to come to any uh, confrontation situations yeah yeah 100 percent. education is the most important thing to to allow people to enjoy nature safely i mean we all love the freedom that comes with 
camping and hiking and, and doing all kinds of outdoor pursuits but you know there's a i think the the biggest take home of this episode is that they're not you know in your home you're in their home yeah um, and and that's something you've always got to take with you when you do any outdoor activity mutual respect it all comes down to that brother bear it's been an absolute education i hope so i hope this this one's been short and sweet but i hope it was useful to to our listeners thank you brother bear an honor thank you very much brother bear i look forward to the next episode um would you like to uh give a a taste to the audience or are you just going to let it hang no i think I'll, i'll give them a sneak peek so we're going to be talking to two englishmen uh who have extensive experience in uh, the North American continent. Uh, so both to yourself, Leo, and Dimbat, or Damien, uh, who's based in Denver. He's our man in Denver, and he's going to be giving all, all kinds of insights, both cultural, um, everyday, uh, from the craft beers they drink over there to um, the uh, sandals and various apparel <laughs> that we've noticed Americans like to wear. It'll, it'll be an in-depth and I, hopefully quite a light-hearted and a humorous conversation and i look forward to that and we'll be publishing that in two weeks following this one awesome i cannot wait for that i think it's going to be great to have a our first tri-national podcast between britain the usa and canada canada is going to be tri-location yeah it's going to it's going to be a challenge <laughs> but i'm sure we're up for it absolutely cannot wait okay brother Bear. well it's been a pleasure thank you so much and um until next time thanks man bro bear over and out Oh, we're now, bro, bear. Bye out.